helps us to do this without a piano, I think we focus on the words more. And although, it also helps us appreciate our pianist more. And so when she gets back here next week, please uh, praise her, tell her how great she is, and uh, we do appreciate the, the piano. But those hymns, if you're looking for uh, a different devotion, you ought to take that hymn book, and there's scripture behind each one of those songs, and just go through them. It'll bless your heart. There's some great truths in those old hymns. Well, Genesis chapter 2 is where we are uh, this morning. I have been, I started a series, it's been a few weeks ago, but because I haven't preached every Sunday, that's why it's been a little longer, but on home improvement. And as I was studying this once again, I was thinking not only are these great biblical principles for marriage, for the family, but also for the church family. These are things that are very applicable in our relationship with one another. And I, uh, I started off the last time with Psalm 127, verse 1. You need not turn there, but it, that verse states, the psalmist or Solomon says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If the Lord doesn't, if he's not the foundation, if he's not the one that builds it, then it's, uh, it's in vain. But a nation is only as strong as the churches in that nation. And the churches are only as strong as the families in that church, or those churches. And so, does it make you wonder about our nation right now, the way things are? And think about this. The family has been attacked uh, relentlessly for years. Think about the, uh, those troubled young men. There are some interesting things. I'm not going to talk about that today, but uh, uh, concerning each one of those young men that have gone into schools, gone into uh, the parade here not long, just last week, and, and just shot people no, with no thought or anything of it. And in many of those, most of those situations, they didn't really have a dad at home. The home was a mess. Look, if Johnny lives at my home and he is uh, all of a sudden going to be dressed in black and, and he's getting tattoos on his face and he's in his room all the time, I think something's wrong. And so where are the dads? Where are the moms? Where are the, the family? You see, if you break down the family, <clears throat> it does have an effect upon the entire nation. And, and of course, first of all, the church, which does have a... What we're facing today is more of a spiritual problem than it is a political problem. But it's, you know, we, we talked about this last week. The Bible, it proclaims the, the importance of the family. You know, you look, read through the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus often was going into a home, a family setting. And he was often in those homes. And, and another thing, when he left that home, it wasn't the same as when he came into that home. That's what happens when you allow Jesus, when you invite him into your life, when you, when you, uh, be, you determine to live by the principles of the word of God. It has an effect not only on you, but it will change your family because you've invited Jesus into your home. Building a home, is, it's not easy. Physically, building a house, uh, building any building, it takes a lot of work. Building a business takes work. And so 
it will take a lot of work. It doesn't automatically happen. Our, our families are not going to turn out the way God wants them to automatically. We must work at it. And it's definitely worth our effort. But if you're going to build a family, it's important that you allow Jesus Christ to be that general contractor. He's the great contractor. He's, he's the one that we need to uh, imp- invite into our lives to help us to build the kind of family that's going to be a great family, that's going to be pleasing to God. Uh, <clears throat> the world doesn't have the answers. There's a lot of books written about family matters and relationship matters, but they don't have the answers if they are, uh, have left out God. There lies the real answer to a, a family unit that is going to be strong and, and a blessing to this world. But our house must have, if we're going to build a physical home, it needs a good foundation. If it doesn't have a foundation, a good foundation, the house may be pretty, it may have all the rooms and things in it you want, but it's not going to last without that foundation. And so that's what we've been talking about. Uh, we started on this a couple weeks ago, but uh, we're going to read out of uh, Genesis 2, 18 and through 23, and then or 25, and then we will uh, have a word of prayer and continue on as the Lord allows us the time. But Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 18, and we'll read down through the rest of the chapter here. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam and what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to the beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a, a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Uh, therefore shall a man cleave, uh, or sh- excuse me, shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we once again bow before you. We do want your will to be done this morning. I, I pray for uh, every individual here, every family that's represented. Lord, you know the struggles and the trials that some may be facing right now. God help them. You know that this world is not a, a very friendly uh, environment for the family. And so I pray for wisdom on the behalf of mom and dad, uh, the family, the leaders of the family, that you'd help them to instill within their family unit, their marriage relationship, these biblical principles that will build the kind of home, the kind of family that would be pleasing to you. Again, Lord, just have your way, for it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We talked about the foundation, the foundation of a good family the foundation of a good marriage relationship, the foundation of any good relationship really is God. It's God. It must be. In, in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. 
He said, I will make him a helpmeet. And so the, the first family was formed by God. It was founded by God's power. It was sanctioned by God's authority. This is not man's idea. This is God's. And now, look at man's ideas. Man is saying, no, it's two men. It's two women. It's whatever you want it to be. And, and uh, we have changed the family unit. We have changed the definition of a family. We are redefining things. We're saying this is what it is. And look at the problems that have occurred in our nation as a result of it. Even some of the diseases. And again, I'm not going to get into that today. But I'm just saying every family has to be built on some source of authority. And if it's not on the authority of God, it's whatever man thinks. And our family, the family units in our nation are very weak because there are so many homes that do not have a father, do not have that, that solid uh, uh, family relationship. I'll say this. I have seen uh, single mothers raise their children. It's always a little harder to do, no doubt about it. I respect them highly. But they can still instore those biblical principles in the lives of their children. And as we look at our relationships, are they built on uh, God? Or are, they, are we trying to befriend someone? You know, some people go to church to try to better their business. You know, that gives me more contacts, that, that kind of thing. And, that, and that's, of course, not the reason that we should be going. And so are we, our relationships, are they what we're trying to get out of it? Or are we, as we even talked about in Sunday school, as First John talks about, are we uh, uh, having the love of God for another? And so you see, these uh, principles can be applied to every relationship. We, we talked about, we're going to do one or two things. We're going to build on the culture which we came from, how we were raised, and if we're going to, uh, you know, that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. If you had a mom and dad who loved the Lord, a mom and dad who instilled biblical principles into the family, the home, that's good. We ought to model after that. But if you had a mother and father who maybe weren't saved, or maybe they were saved, but all they did was fight, and there was uh, just a lot of turmoil in the home constantly, it's not good to model yourself after that. Uh, so then others build on the culture around them. We, I say we, there's a large part of our world, maybe uh, I don't know how far back it goes, but we, the children are being indoctrinated. And they're being brainwashed by the culture around them. Uh, Many of the kids, and I think especially like kids we bring into church, we, mom and dad don't want to come at this point. A lot of them, they, they, they get what they learn from the TV, from uh, the Internet. And so you can only imagine uh, the problems they can glean from that. But they allow the media or they allow the standards of the so-called celebrities of their day to serve as the basis of their own standards. And they want to model, uh, look, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to judge anyone, but if you go into the teenager's room and they have posters of, of rock stars and maybe even some athletes, and by the way, some of those men and women that are famous athletes are not what I want, I didn't want my children to model their life after uh, because of their lifestyle. 
But I'm just saying, we ought to uh, look to the right examples in the Word of God. There are some great heroes even in our, our nation right now that we could um, uh, lift up in our families to say, these are men, these are women that we should uh, strive to be like. But none other is greater than Jesus Christ. So I, my desire is to show how to build a firm foundation. And verse 18, again, the Lord said um, and that you know, he is the one. He said, I will make. He's the one who established the family. He's the one. Uh, this is, uh, a, marriage is a divine institution. The family is a divine institution. And so God says, and, you know, that's, that, when it comes down to it, the Bible is the foundation. If we say, you know, you know what we're going to do, marriage is supposed to be, and, <coughs> and what a family is supposed to be is what God says it's supposed to be <coughs> in the Word of God. <coughs> Excuse me. I uh, swallowed something there, but I, I, I'm hoping it'll clear up here in a minute. But the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority in in your family is supposed to be what God says in his word. All the authors of this day that have written great, you know, they say great books about family and relationship. If it lines up with scripture, there are some good things you can glean from it. But the Bible is our ultimate authority. So let me get to my second point where we left off the last time in Genesis chapter 2. Look with me, if you would, at verse 24. And Adam said, this is now a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of, out of man. And so God gave Eve to Adam. God brought them together as husband and wife, and they married, the first uh, marriage. So here's what Adam says. Uh, Therefore... Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and what? They, he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The goal in marriage, the goal in a family is unity. Now, that word is thrown out by many in our day, many liberals. Uh, they'll, they'll say in the church, we ought to strive to be unified regardless of anything else. That's the main thing. But the problem is, I cannot be, have unity with a person who denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I cannot have unity with a person that, that denies that this is, this book is the Word of God. Now, I can befriend them, and I can be nice to them, but there's not going to be a unity there. And so it's the word of God, it's the truth of God that if our foundation is our family, our marriage is built on God, therefore we have that ability to have the unity that God wants us to have. The goal is oneness, is togetherness. The goal is to leave and to cleave. Now, the Lord is saying here that, that uh, this is a, there's a temporary relationship and a permanent relationship in the family life see that word there leave that word reveals a very important principle here it means to depart from it tells us that when we get when we are married we are to leave our parents 
We are to leave our previous family behind. Now, what does that mean, though? Uh, you, you talk to some, they'll, you will get different ideas of what that means. Uh, of course, there is a sense in which you really never do leave the uh, previous family. And for all the rest of your life, you will be affected by your relationship with your parents, with your previous family. And that's true. You will be affected by the kind of family that you came from. Your upbringing will determine how you solve problems. Your upbringing will determine how you relate to others around you. So, in one sense of the word, you, you don't leave your family. But on the other side of the coin there, in the other sense of the word, <clears throat> you ought to leave the family. Now, hear me out. He, he's not saying here, sever the relationship completely. He's not saying that you have no more contact with your previous family. No, us grandparents would have a problem with that, wouldn't we? No, we don't want that. You, in fact, you could send the grandkids, you could stay home, but just send over the grandkids. And, uh, but no, we, we would have a problem with that, and the Lord is not saying that here. So there is a sense in which you never leave your family, and here is a sense in which you ought to never, uh, ought not to leave your family. You don't break total contact with them. It's, it's really wise to have that contact. One, your parents have been through it. They can guide you. They can help you. But uh, so what does he mean when he says leave your father and mother? What he's saying here is when you get married, you're starting something new. You're starting your own marriage, your own family. And uh, something brand new, something never existed before, your family, your marriage. And anyone, uh, you know, we hear that phrase, he, uh, well, cut the apron strings. And uh, any husband, the, one of the worst things you can do, friend, is, is always say, well, boy, you just don't make that like mom does. You don't cook like, boy, boy, mom did it this way. Dad did it this way. And no, always, always bring that up. You're starting something new. Don't try to uh, compare your wife to your mother. Don't try to compare them with anyone. You're trying to build that new family, that new relationship. But here's the thing. You need to clip some strings. Cut some strings when you get married. And here's the goal in marriage is family compatibility. That, you know, we're not magically compatible. You know, we, we finally, we bump into somebody and say, aha, we are completely compatible. No, we're not. Uh, in a church, we have all different people, different backgrounds. We're not all compatible. But, and, and even in a marriage relationship, but you can, that's your goal, is to be compatible. The compatibility. That's why you have to cut those strings. Uh, when you get married, clip the financial strings and uh, the strings of dependency. Uh, learn to develop some independency in your marriage. Don't, you know, and, and by the way, we as, as grandparents, we ought not uh, uh, hold someone hostage by saying, well, listen, I'll help you out here, but you're going to do it my way. Now, we, if we're going to help them, help them. 
but you are not, uh, they are responsible for their marriage, their family, and guide and direct them, but don't, don't put strings on the, any, any help that you put. Now that, you remember, I helped you back then, so you're going to do this my way. And no, I don't care what your wife says. I don't care what your husband says. No, um, we, we need to be careful of that too. What are we, we that are, are uh, as, as grandparents, um, those that parent, uh, we need to support that relationship. Yeah, that uh, son-in-law maybe uh, have lost his mind. He may be somebody you'd like to take out back and all that. But you need to support them and encourage them and help them. They're married, and they are now, before God, they have made vows, and, and you need to do everything within your power to help them remain together. But leave your father and mother, it says here, again, the idea is compatibility. One of the hardest parts for some parents is letting go, isn't it? Um, letting their children go. Children need to leave. That does not mean they have no contact, um, but many times mom and dad don't want to let them go. We need to let them go. That word cleave carries several ideas here. It carries the idea, not only, of, or it does talk about compatibility here. If you're going to have a good marriage, if you're going to have a good family, there has to be that some compatibility in the, in the family. There is and again, as I alluded to earlier, one of the biggest myths about families that we are just automatically compatible to one another. You know, a couple gets married and they think uh, that they are so compatible. They enjoy one another. And they think that they, they're uh, uh, loading up and they're going to sail out on that cruise ship of love, that love boat. Uh, but if there be, if it's true, lots of couples are like, well, I missed that boat. Something's happened. That's not quite the way I thought it was going to be. Uh, there doesn't seem, I, I, where I thought we were compatible, we're not. So don't be shocked. We're not going to be completely compatible. When you have a man and a woman come together right there, they're going to have a lot of differences. And then the different uh, backgrounds and such. So don't think, well, I'm not compatible. Therefore, this marriage will never work. None of us. Look, my wife is from the other side of the world. I never thought I would uh, marry someone from the other side of the world. Different cultures, different uh, uh, backgrounds. But God has helped us to make us more compatible now than we ever were from the very beginning. In other words, she has agreed to do what I've told her. No, it's not that way at all. Um, but if that, it, look, lots of couples, they feel like they've lost uh, somewhere along the way. They're not compatible. It'll never work. The truth of the matter is we're not very compatible, even as a church. We have to work at it. And uh, now let me read you what uh, this author, Cecil Osborne, he said. The difficulty of achieving a happy marriage is compounded by the fact that men and women are basically incompatible. They have goals. Needs, emotions, and drives which are incompatible with those of the opposite sex. We are basically incompatible. So don't be shocked by that. That's nothing new. I mean, understand, this, there's going to be obviously differences. It takes a lifetime of a marriage to develop compatibility. And so the, the same thing is, is true in a family. When children are born, those of you who've had children, isn't it amazing? 
that whether you had one or five, and if you only had one, it's hard to distinguish, but if you had more than one child, they're all different. They have different personalities. They interact with different people. Some may be really outgoing, and some may be very, uh, maybe at more of an introvert. And, uh, uh, but there's going to be, you know, that's what's good about a family. It helps them to work uh, at becoming more compatible with one another in that family. And so you have this, uh, all these different people, you're trying to work it out, you're trying to develop that compatibility, you're trying to learn to talk to one another. I, you know, there lies a thought come to my mind because in our day and age, we have so many things that, that are taken away from trying to talk with one another. So many electronic devices. Uh, children, even in the home, they're, they're in their bedrooms texting one another. And, uh, and, and there are some that even goes into the relationships. That's kind of the way it is. In the same room, and they're, they're texting each other or whatever else. What I'm saying is they don't, they, we've lost the ability to communicate, to really talk. And be why some of the things that have happened in our nation, unbelievable things, and, the, and they interviewed parents afterwards, and I had no idea. What? You had no idea that this child of yours had, I mean, some major problems, some mental issues? You had no idea? How can that be? How can you live in the same home and not have any idea? You know how it is. They interview people. Oh, well, we never, he was always quiet. We never had any problem. Uh, but look, if you're in the same home, if you have small children, teach your children. Take some time to communicate. Teach them how to communicate, uh, how important that is. And that does uh, bring compatibility. That's a goal in the family, not only in the marriage, but the family. You don't want your, your uh, uh, boys and your girls, your, your family fighting all the time. And, and you know how people say, well, that's just the way families are. Well, that's not the way God wants it to be. It's one thing about being different, being uh, little arguments. But, I mean, I know some brothers and sisters that just down, flat out hate each other. That would not be. So, he is talking about uh, here in this relationship. He says uh, that we're to cleave as husband and wife together. One in Matthew 19, he talks about this. And Jesus says this statement also. What God hath joined together, let no man uh, put asunder. And so that's an interesting word, that word join. It really means to be glued together. It means to be stuck together. It refers to a bond that is so strong it cannot be broken without serious damage uh, uh, to both pieces. If you've ever did any kind of woodwork and you have glued two pieces, two boards together, if you did it properly, boy, that glue, that, that bond is strong. And you go to break that board, most of the time it's not going to break on the seam where the glue is. It's going to break the, one of the boards. It's going to do a lot of damage. It's not going to be a clean break. And so that, that's what that word is. Cleave or joining together. What God hath joined together. Um, so he's talking about commitment. There's the other thing. Not only compatibility, but commitment. And I believe the number one requirement for a strong family is commitment. When you marry, you are committed to, that, to your wife. You're committed to your husband. 
You say, well, pastor, I don't love them like I once did. But you've made a choice. Love is a choice. You have chosen to love them. You have chosen to be with them, that, that commitment. And so when, when the children come along, you are committed to those children. It, it will never happen. I, I don't care what anybody, a psychologist tells me. It could never happen that you could have a person who has lost their mind to the point where they have no value of life, where they'll take a gun and kill women and children, any innocent people. There's no way that could happen right in your home. And you not know there's, there's something wrong with this child. I, I, you know, sure, it breaks my heart, but there's something. This person needs some attention. Uh, we need to commit to those children, to their every need, to be aware when they're under our care, we need to know about what they're doing, where they're going. We need to train them up in the ways of the Lord. And 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 then same thing in the church. You know, we bring these young people in. Some of them have not been brought up in a biblical home by any means. And some of them don't know how to act in church. Yeah, there's some that just do things. You're looking at them. If you were my child. And, uh, you know, we, we all get, have those feelings. But listen, we need to be patient with them. It's a whole different, different relationship than a family. But we do have them for a shorter of period of time while we're, we have them here. Let's show them love. Let's show them patience. Let's work with them to try to teach them these biblical principles. Really, honestly, all we're doing is giving them a chance. Um, if mom and dad doesn't get saved, a lot of times we see those children go back into the world. Now, if they're truly born again, that's something they can't, cannot lose. Praise God for that. But I'm talking about a family that is committed to one another. And if, as a Christian family, we need to be committed to a, our spouse, committed to our children, to love one another. Every member of the family, every one of them is special. Every one of them is precious. Parents, by the way, you should never have a favorite child. Now, you may have a child in your home that you say, boy, this, this one here is a godsend. Oh, they, they just do what I tell them to do. They're so obedient. They, they're so kind. But don't, don't be, let it known that, you know, he is the favorite or she is the best. You, you equally love them all. And, uh, again, I, I think uh, uh, we ought to employ that kind of philosophy in, in the church as well. But uh, uh, someone gives a little more that's why why i don't really want to know what you give it's none of my business in the first place but i'm afraid for my own flesh that if i know some so and so gives a, a whole lot of money that i'm not going to uh, be honest with them at all times i i, I may try to uh, uh understanding well you know hey they give so much money i better not preach on this subject because they don't agree with that and you see what i'm saying there's a conflict that can occur and um but anyway, let's move on. What is, here's a question. You can ask yourself this right now, or later on, think about it. Here it is. What is life like for my spouse having to live with me? What is life like for my spouse having to live with me? Ask yourself that question. But if you're going to have a firm foundation a foundation that is strong and lasting needs to be built on God. It needs to be built on godly goals of commitment 
of com compatibility. And here's the, the third building block, and I'm done here with this uh, thought. A foundation needs to be built on grace. Look at verse 25 again with me in Genesis 2. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Uh, now, wouldn't it be great if there was a verse 26 here? If it go, went on to say this in that chapter, um, in something like this, and they lived, they all lived happily ever after. Wouldn't it be great if verse 26 was like that? But you and I know better than, than that. Look, it, after Genesis 2, what comes next? Genesis 3. Genesis 2 closes with them both being naked and unashamed. Genesis 3, look at verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. Here's Adam speaking to the Lord. And I was afraid. Well, Adam, you've never been afraid before. This was new. I was afraid because here I was naked and I hid myself. Now in verse 25 of chapter 2, they were naked and, and were not ashamed. So something changed. But it was sin. They disobeyed God. And so uh, verse, or in chapter 3 of Genesis, we have the, the sad record of man, the first man, the first woman sinning, disobeying God, sin coming into the world and um, into the human race. Man became a sinner here in Genesis chapter 3. Adam became a sinner. Eve became a sinner. Now, one of the things you uh, have to understand, the firm foundation, is that we are all sinners. I know uh, when we are dating, we're or courting, whatever term you want to use, we are oftentimes, sadly, we are putting on a mask. We are playing up big to try to win over that person. Now, it would be great if we all would just be honest. It, that usually happens after we're married because you can't play the game then. And sometimes you don't even try. But, uh, but that's why you need to be careful. But, but I, again, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit there. But picture this here. In, um, that we're, Just know this. We're all sinners. You did not marry someone that was perfect. You may have thought, boy, this is the, the most perfect person in the world. They do everything right. And, but you know that's not true, because if you believe the Bible, we're all sinners. You married a sinner. And I know some of you ladies say, no, I know that's true, but it goes both ways. We're all sinners. And, and you need to know that your spouse that you're married to is a sinner. Uh, that's true in Christian families. They're sinners saved by grace, but they still are trying, you know, uh, he's still working on me, as the little song says. And Christian dads, they battle temptation. Uh, Christian dads do make mistakes. Christian moms, they, they uh, struggle, and, and sometimes, quite frankly, they blow it. Uh, Christian boys and girls, young people, sometimes they can act like pagans. And uh, uh, we all are sinners. Then something else, we're all selfish. As a human being, we're selfish. When the Lord confronted Adam about his sin, now the Lord knew he had sinned before he ever came down uh, to the garden. But when he confronted Adam, what did Adam do? Well, he said, it's that woman, Lord. That's why I sinned. It's all 
her fault. We still play that blame game, don't we? And uh, then what do you, you know, think that Eve did? Well, it's that snake, that serpent. That's why I did what I did. That serpent lied to me. That serpent, he uh, caused me to sin. And so Adam even got a little, he went to a lower degree of, of blame game here. Adam says, it's that woman you gave me. In other words, the Lord, it's all your fault. If you hadn't given me that woman, I'd still be in the garden. Things would be perfect. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm ad-libbing there a little bit, but that's basically what he's saying. He's blaming, and, and basically he's saying, God, it's your fault. All this is. And so not only are we all sinners, we're all selfish. Um, again, notice what happened there. Verse, or chapter 3, look at verse 21. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make clothes of skin and clothe them. Now, wait a minute. What did, something had to happen here. See, this is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of grace. God covered their nakedness. God covered their sin. But what did he have to do? He had to kill an animal. Blood had to be shed. Right here in Genesis is a, a picture of what Christ was going to do on Calvary. It's a picture of salvation. So not only are we all sinners, we're all selfish, we're all damaged goods, but we are all salvageable. Um, I used to love going to a junkyard when I was younger. I don't know, they seem to always have fences around them now, I guess, but back then, it was like a treasure trove. We'd go in, we can look through old cars, we can go uh, through heaps. I know, it doesn't sound too appealing to some of you, but for a 10-year-old boy, I thought, it was, I thought it was great. It was just amazing, the things you could find. But I always, and I still, I mentioned that the other day about a, a car. I love to see that where they take an old, rusty piece of junk and they transform it. They make it into a beautiful car. They, they uh, redo it all. They salvage that junk car. And that's what God can do to our lives. Um, we can all be saved by the grace of God. God can change you, sir, ma'am. God can change you. God can do a work of grace in your life. You don't have to be that sorry individual that you may be right now, you know, that nobody can get along with. That you're, I don't know anybody like that here, but there are people that do have that kind of spirit. They're just mean all the time. And, but you can be everything that God intends you to be by his grace. A foundation built on God is a, is a family where grace is understood and uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, one of the greatest examples of a family that was built on grace is the prodigal son. And, you know, we, we don't have time to turn there this morning, but it's a great story there. Uh, he had one of the... This boy had one of the greatest fathers that a boy could ever have. Uh, but he said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want my inheritance now. In other words, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want your money. And so that's what he's he basically saying here. I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you're gone. Uh, you're already gone to me. But he, he proved he was a sinner. This young man proved he was selfish. And 
uh, with a broken heart, that old father, that old man, gave that boy his inheritance. And, and what did the boy do? He took off for a far country. And you know what happened in that far country? The Bible says he joined himself. Same ver a word that Jesus used in Matthew 19. Uh, and what God has uh, joined together, brought together. So same word, he, in other words, he glued himself. You see, you can get attached to the wrong things. This young man did. And, and some of you are, are glued to a far country, uh, glued to this old world. You're glued to the standards and to the morals of this world. You're glued yourself to this ungodly, decadent world. And it will happen to you just like it did to this, this poor boy here in the New Testament. It took him all the way down to a hogpen. You know the story. Most of you do, I'm sure. And as he ate the husk with those hogs, one day he came to himself and he said this, you know, I don't deserve to be a son anymore. But I would be better off being a servant of my father than to live down here. And so that, that boy, he came out of that hog pen and he headed home. Stinking, dirty, ragged clothes. And the, and the Bible tells us that when the father saw him afar off, he took off running for his son. And when he got to him, he, he grabbed his boy and said, you sorry excuse for a son. Don't you ever come back here. Don't you ever show your face in my home. Don't you ever come back to this church again. And, I, I, you know, you, you've made an embarrassment out of me. You've embarrassed our whole family. And you've embarrassed our church. And so don't come back. No, I, I'm reading a different version there. No, no, no. The Bible clearly says he went and ran down that lane and grabbed boy, embraced him. And he said, boy, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast. My son was dead. He's come back home. He's alive. And he deserved judgment. Yes, he deserves hell. But he starts making, you know, the son starts making those uh, apologies, saying, God, or Father, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to be your son. But his father cuts him off and says, no, listen, I, I, you know, you are my son. And put his, he put a robe upon him, puts the ring upon his head, and he accepts him back into his family. That is a great example of grace in the family. Grace. So he kissed him, put that robe on him. He said, come on home, son. Welcome back. So there, there are times when all of us need forgiveness. Don't ever get to the place where you say, I will never forgive. If you're, if you're there, if you're, there's someone in your life, whether it's in your family or not, and you're saying, I will never forgive that person for what they did. Let me tell you, you're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. It's going to eat you like a cancer. You need to forgive them. But preacher, you don't know what, I, that's true, I don't know. God does. And if Jesus Christ can forgive you and I and die on the cross for our sins, I think the least we could do is forgive someone who maybe they did wrong us. But anyway, there's that, the, the, the test is contrition and repentance. And, and when there is genuine repentance and a remorse over sin, there should be room in all families for forgiveness, for acceptance. So let me close with this. If you want to build a family, if you want to build a relationship with a firm foundation, it must be built on the biblical principles. 
build your family on God. You need to build your family on godly goals. You're in this not for to see how it goes, and then we'll make a decision. No, it's for the long haul. It's, it's a total commitment to one another. And build your family on grace. Um, you know, that gives a family a, a, a sense of beauty when you can forgive. When you're not nagging and, and, and arguing and fighting. And Look, some people, even on uh, good points, they're, they're nagging to their spouse about being what they should be, this and that. No, what we are to do is to be what God wants us to be as an individual so that we can reflect the love of God, the grace of God to our spouse. Maybe the spouse isn't saved. The best thing you can do is to be that husband or that wife that God wants you to be. And so, um, what's going on in your family today? What's going on in your family? What's going on in your church family? Is there anybody that you're angry with, have problems with? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Are there needs that should be addressed today? Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to be extended to someone that you've been angry with for a long time. Why don't you surrender to God and forgive? Are there confessions that need to be made today, not to this preacher, but to God? 